That desire in all of us to be safe and secure. It's what I call linusitis. It's, it's that desire just like that security blanket that we all want to cling to. We all want our security. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Well, good morning, church. I hope that you're experiencing your calling each and every day that you wake up in the Lord Jesus. Today is a unique day in the life of Oklahoma City. It's the 25th anniversary of the Murrow Building bombing. And we want to take some time just to remember that and reflect on that, especially one of our very own, Arlene Blanchard, has a powerful testimony. She is a survivor of that tragedy. She shouldn't be living today, and yet God gave her a powerful testimony coming out of those moments 25 years ago. And I think that's a lesson for all of us today, that in times of tragedy, it always produces opportunities for powerful testimonies. I'm grateful for Arlene's and how she uses that throughout the world to share the glory of God. And I pray that during this time, uh, these tragic days we live in here on planet Earth, that you're using these opportunities to share your powerful testimony as well. Well, it is our latest challenge. It is the latest opportunity for us to reflect the glory of God in all the earth. And while it's been six weeks since we last met together, we continue to meet beyond this sanctuary and beyond this place. Uh, our statistics are telling us we have people worshiping uh, almost every state in the Union. Certainly, we're seeing in Texas and Tennessee, Missouri, Arkansas, Connecticut, Georgia, Illinois, Wisconsin, Colorado, Florida, Montana, North Carolina, the list goes on and on and on. I'm sure I missed a few. In the past three weeks, we've had people worshiping live with us in Brazil, Singapore, Canada, and Switzerland. It is amazing the opportunity that we've had in these days. This morning, even, a shout out to Janice Melton in Phoenix, Arizona, who has started watching with her family. Uh, even though she's not here in Oklahoma, she's with us every Sunday morning. Good morning, Miss Janice. And if you're viewing outside the state of Oklahoma, I'd love, to you, I'd love for you to go out to our chat box. Our online pastor is waiting there. Brother Justin is our online pastor today. Uh, just chat in the chat box and tell us. Type in real quick where you're from, where you're viewing, and if you have a prayer request or a ministry need, Please post that as well. Well, nobody ever anticipated what life would become because of this virus. Nobody saw these last six weeks apart from the sovereignty of our Lord God. And while we have been introduced to a new term called social distancing, can you imagine what it's going to be like that first Sunday when we're able to gather back together, whether that's sometime in May or whenever that might be? Can you just imagine what that is going to be like when we're all gathered back together. Well, I received this video clip this week that might give us a little clue what it's going to look like when that day comes. Take a look at this. <laughs> well, I know that we all are looking forward to that day when we can uh, re-engage face-to-face. And I know that social distancing has all of us feeling a little disconnected, a little caged up. 
The world has had to take this unprecedented precaution to be safe from this killing virus. It's hard to feel safe and secure when you see the spread of this virus that's taking place and the countless lives unnecessarily being lost because of a virus. So we continue to do what we have to do as a nation, as a world, even as a church, in taking those steps to be safe and secure. And really, that's what we're going to look at today in the book of Romans, is the issue of our security, that desire in all of us to be safe and secure. It's what I call linusitis. It's, it's that desire, just like that security blanket that we all want to cling to. We all want our security, all the way up until the last days of life, when even we cling to what we call social security. Everybody wants security. We've talked about the Murrow Building. We've talked about other issues in our culture. And last year alone, the United States spent $47.5 billion ensuring the safety and security of the American people. It's what we now know as a new department, the Homeland Security U.S. Department. Safe and secure in the USA? Not always, and I don't think so. As you go through airports, you see airport security. We now have to have virus security on our computers, home security systems, and car alarms, and it goes on and on and on and on. Safe and secure in the USA? I don't think so. Even in the parking lots of Walmarts and shopping malls, we find security. Even in our schools, and now even in our churches, we have to provide extra security. Safe and secure in the USA? I don't think so. But what we're going to see today is that we are safe and secure in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Our whole life is spent trying to be as secure as possible. But the least amount of security most people have is where we are the most secure. It's amazing to me. What we're going to see in Scripture is we have permanent, eternal security in Christ Jesus. And yet for many people, that's where they feel the least secure. As we've been going through the book of Romans, the first three chapters, Paul addressed the issue of sin. Then in the last part of chapter 3 and 4, Paul then began to enter in this understanding of what it means to be saved, how we can have salvation even though we've sinned. And now as we get to chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1, he now addresses the issue of our security. That if we are truly saved, if we have a Savior who has saved us from the penalty of our sin, then we need to understand the security that is ours for all of eternity. Verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. The first proof that he gives us here, four proofs that Paul will bring, four things that he wants you to note in your spirit so that you can have ultimate security. The very first proof he points to is that we are secure in his justification. Look at verse 1 again. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, having been justified by faith. Now, don't read that verse and put the emphasis on your faith. Because there are times that we are faithless, there are times we don't walk by faith. And what Paul wasn't saying is your security is all anchored into your faith. What he's saying is because you've placed your faith in Christ, and I pray you have, 
If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, if you're placing your faith in your works, if you're placing your faith that this is all there is to life and you don't need to worry about eternity, if your faith is misplaced, that's a different story. But if you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been justified not because of your faith, but because of what Jesus did. And the benefit of what Jesus did becomes ours when we place our faith in the act of his substitutionary death. Now, if you don't place your faith there, if you place your faith somewhere else, you don't receive that benefit. You're not secure. You'll never have that security. But even those who have placed their faith in Jesus find themselves being robbed by the enemy who is the father of all lies. So the Apostle Paul is coming in to address those lies, the lies that come at your mind and say, well, you can't be saved or you wouldn't think this, or you can't be saved or you wouldn't be doing this still. The enemy loves to steal, kill, and destroy, uh, kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the areas he loves to attack in Christianity or in Christians' lives is the issue of their joy. Ephesians chapter 2, hold your place in Romans. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, the first concept of our security comes in the peace we have with God. Look at Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision, by the so-called circumcision. Now, Paul's getting into religious argument here. He's talking to those who are Gentiles, the uncircumcised, versus the Jews who had the covenant mark of circumcision. And he points out, it's interesting that they point to a religious mark, if you will, that is performed by the flesh of human hands. That that was a human thing, not a God thing. Verse 12. No, remember this, that you were at that time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Look at verse 14. For he, not your faith, not your faithfulness, not your works, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. He is our peace. Not anything of us, not what we've done or what we don't do, only Christ is our peace. And when do we need peace? Peace is the absence of war. So I want to show you Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. And I want you to see the reality of, yes, we once were at war with God, We once were separated from God, alienated. We were on the other side, the enemies of God. But now how we have this peace with God. Colossians 1 and verse 19. It says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all of the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. You see without what Jesus did for us on the cross, we would still be at war with God. Our sin would be that which attacks the holiness of God. We were enemies to his righteousness. But Jesus so loved us, God so loved us, he sent his son Jesus. Jesus came to this earth and he shed his blood on the cross. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Jesus became that payment so that war could be ended and we could be at peace with God. Verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile, there it is, there's the war, we were hostile towards God, engaged in evil deeds. 
Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through his death in order to present to you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. So we look at these promises today, and what the Apostle Paul is going to argue again in Romans chapter 5 is, yes, we used to be separated from God, and yes, we were his enemies. But now, through faith, placing our faith in what Jesus did for us, receiving him into our life, into our hearts, we now are the children of God. And in that, we should be very safe and secure. But when you've been at war, war can be confusing. And when you've been in a battle, many times you don't even understand what it means to live at peace. I want to show you a couple of videos this morning. The first one is the reality of the end of our war with Japan in World War II. Watch this video very quickly, and then I have a point to make. World War II in the Pacific, four years of bloody hell, came to an end here. September 2nd, 1945, a solemn ceremony on the deck of the USS Missouri in Tokyo Bay. A mighty warship and a peace to celebrate. The ship was packed with hundreds of sailors, Marines, reporters, cameramen, and top military brass with legendary names, Nimitz, Halsey, Wainwright, McCain, representatives of nine Allied nations and Supreme Allied Commander General Douglas MacArthur. Just before nine that morning, the Japanese representatives approached the Missouri. They boarded in silence, took their places, and the brief ceremony began. It is my earnest hope, and indeed the hope of all mankind, that from this solemn occasion, a better world shall emerge out of the blood and carnage of the past. MacArthur was about to become the interim ruler of Japan, and the Japanese people, defeated and afraid, did not know what to expect until this moment. I announce it my firm purpose to proceed in the discharge of my responsibilities with justice and tolerance. Justice and tolerance. With those words, one Japanese delegate later said, the deck of the Missouri was transformed into an altar of peace. The Japanese foreign minister signed the instrument of surrender, followed by the Army Chief of Staff. General MacArthur signed. Eyewitnesses saw his hands tremble. The Allied nations signed as well, bearing witness to the end of the worst war in human history. World War II finally was over. Let us pray that peace be now restored to the world and that God will preserve it always. These proceedings are closed. At that moment, as if on cue, the sun came out. And as the Japanese departed, a stunning aerial display more than 2,000 Allied aircraft flew in formation over the Missouri. They claim that that was the end, 1945, the end of the worst war in human history. Well, it's pretty accurate, except the worst war was our war with a holy God. If you notice in that moment when the sun came out is when peace arrived on that deck. Two parties that were at war now were seeking peace. And while Japan finally surrendered there on the deck of the Missouri, 
They were done with war and they wanted peace. They signed a peace treaty. And while they now had peace, not all Japanese citizens experienced that peace. Watch this next video. There's so many people today like Hiro Anoto. They can't believe that the war is over. They simply can't believe that it's possible to have peace. There he was assigned in the islands of the Philippines. Even though there had been pamphlets that had been dropped and messages given that the war was over, he just could not believe it. And that's just like a lot of people today. The Word of God was given to us. God's pamphlet, if, if you will. These things did I write, the Word of God says, that you might know you have eternal life. And yet for many people, it's so hard to believe that they can have peace with God. It just doesn't seem that easy, that simple. They keep fighting, not realizing the war has already been won and there is peace with God. Well, if you read about Hiro Anoto there, did you notice when he found his peace? He said, I will not believe it until I hear it from my commanding officer that the war is over. They had to hunt down his former commanding officer. They had to bring him to Hiro. When he heard the words from his commanding officer, he realized the war was over. The sad thing was that was 29 years later. 29 years he lost there on the islands of the Philippines when it was seasons of peace and he thought he was still at war. That's a sad testimony, a tragic story that is so true of so many people today, and it might be your story. Maybe today you need to realize and you need to hear from your commanding officer, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you need to hear how much He loves you. That over 2,000 years ago, He loved you so much He went to a cross. And He laid down His life for you. So that the war could be over. So that your penalty could be paid. So that the sun could rise again like we celebrated last Sunday as we celebrate this Sunday. And know that we have peace with God. Do you have that peace? If you don't, right where you are right now, you can just pray in your heart. You can pray with our online pastor. You can reach out to him and say, hey, I don't have that peace with God. Can you help me? And, and they'll help you with some scriptures and, and some materials. But it's as simple as calling on the name of the Lord. It's just like the Japanese. There has to be a surrender. There has to be a time you humble yourself just as they did when they came onto the deck of the Missouri. A time where you humble yourself before Almighty God and say, God, I'm no longer God. And I don't want to be at war with you. I seek peace. And so, Lord, I turn from my rebellion, and I turn from my sin, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. And it's in that moment you receive your freedom, and it's in that moment that you receive peace with God that leads to the peace of God. Go back to Romans chapter 5. That's what Paul's been speaking of. The peace with God that we have through Christ. Look at verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now I want to stop there for a moment and I want you to underscore that and highlight it. If you're reading in a real paper Bible, mark that up. If you're taking notes, write it down. Not only do we sing about God's amazing grace, but we are called to stand in that grace. You see, if we don't stand in our understanding of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us, then we become just like a wave that's pushed through the ocean and, and the enemy will drive you further and further away from that peace that is rightfully yours in God. We stand in his grace. We don't stand in our own merits. And that's what the enemy tries to get you to do daily is he tries to rob you of that security. He tries to put it up in your face what you're not doing, what you're not doing well, what you should be doing more of, and he tries to bring it back to your merits. Apostle Paul says, no, we are to stand powerfully, we're to stand permanently in his grace, which is the rock of our salvation. We stand in his grace. And too many Christians are striving for grace. Too many Christians are trying to work their way into grace instead of standing in his grace. We fall into that old flesh theology that says, I must earn his love because we believe like all human history has taught us, love's conditional. If I do the right things, then I'm loved. If I do the wrong things, love is withdrawn. That is not the case with God. You can serve the Lord God Almighty more diligently and more passionately the next 50 years than you have the previous years. And you will still never be more of a child of God than you were the first moment that you trusted Christ. And yet the enemy loves to convince us that there's more to be done to get more of God's love. That's the lie. And here's the truth. Paul says, number one, write it down, you need to be secure in peace, that you have peace with God. Number two, you need to be secure and stand in the grace of God. Grace, by definition, is unmerited favor. That's what grace means. It's something given that we don't earn, we don't deserve. It is a gift. We are secure in the gift of God that gives us peace with God. But look at the last part of verse 2. He goes on and says, a third thing that is the benefit of being justified. We have peace with God. We know the grace of God 
but also we exult in the hope of God, the hope of the glory of God. To exult means to boast or to glory in. Now that we have peace with God, we shouldn't doubt it. Now that we stand firm in His grace, we shouldn't wonder if we still have it. We should be exalting in that. We should be glorifying God in our security. Going on in other parts of Scripture, Paul had to continue to convince the body of Christ against this lie that we don't have security with God, that we're not safe and secure. Another verse, you can write it down, is 2 Timothy 1.12. I'll put it up on the screen. It says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him against that day. Paul was telling Timothy, I know this and I am secure, radically secure in my understanding of who God is and who I am. Paul understood he wasn't the one that was completing his salvation. God was. He'd go on to say in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, I'm confident in this very thing, that God who saved me and began this good work in me, he is the one that will perfect it. He says the same thing here in 2 Timothy. My confidence, and I am convinced that what I have given to him, he guards, he keeps, and I am safe and secure in what God accomplishes for me. Does Paul sound like someone who's lacking security? Does Paul sound like someone who's confused or doubtful or fearful? No, he was convinced. And the last thing the enemy wants for you is to be convinced about who you are in Christ Jesus. Oh, he loves for you to be convinced of who you used to be. And he loves to convince you of all the things you fall short of his glory. But God's word wants you to be convinced of who he is and what he's doing in your life on a daily basis. Let's go back and see some more. Paul continues on in Romans chapter 5. Take a look at verse 3. And not only this, frankly, all I needed was verses 1 and 2. But he goes on and says, but not only this, we also exalt in our tribulations. Ah, oh, now I really wish he would have stopped at verse 2. He says, while we are safe and secure in him, and while we stand strong in his grace, and while we exalt the hope of who he is in our life, we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and a hope that does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. They were going through hard times. Their times different than our times, just as we're going through difficult times. But what we've got to understand, as long as we live on this planet, there will always be difficult times. And now he reminds us that because of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us, now when those difficult times come, it's a different response. Without Christ, it's overwhelming. Without Christ, we drown, we, we die. But in those difficult times, we can exult in those moments because God will do something deeper and something stronger than ever before. He will develop within us perseverance. And as we persevere through these difficult days, our character grows. And as our character grows, we find that our hope deepens even more. A hope that will not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God is being poured out in our hearts. Many people lose their security when they hit hard times. That's when they feel the least secure. They either begin to doubt God or they doubt themselves. Even now, people 
start asking questions. Well, maybe I've done something wrong for God to be allowing this to happen in my life or in our world. Are we now experiencing the judgment of God in the last days? Is God punishing us? Well, certainly we suffer terrible consequences when we sin. But we also experience tough times even when we haven't sinned. That's because we live on a sin-torn planet. And Paul said there would be difficult times, but even in those difficult times, times like this when we did nothing wrong, but we live on a sin-torn world, that we still experience trials and tribulations. But that's when God chooses to pour out his love even stronger. A diamond would never be a diamond unless it went through that intense pressure. It would always remain a lump of coal apart from that trial and from that pressure. The same is true in your life and mine. And while we're going through all this exerted pressure that's being placed on our lives and on our finances, on our businesses, and on our health, all of that can be used by God, not caused by God, but used by God to glorify his name as he produces diamonds in the rough. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29 says this, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Paul was reminding the Philippians all the promises that we have in Christ, all the things that we are secure in, and at the same time, we stay secure even though we live in unsecure situations. Our circumstances don't dictate our security. Our God does. And we must stand in that grace. During present tribulations, we will experience perseverant strength, a dependence on God. And in that perseverant strength, we will find proven character, that character that gets tested and and gets stronger and, and gets purified and becomes a higher quality. And in the end, we receive a perfect hope, secure in our justification, secure in our tribulation, and now we need to see verse 5. Look at the last part of verse 5 again. We need to be secure in his love. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. That picture here is, is this big bat of love that's just dumped out from heaven, that's dumped out over you and me, that's overflowing, consuming, extravagant, nothing held back. Paul reminds us that's a picture of God's love. And that picture of love is so powerful, not just because of the quantity of love that's poured out, but when it was poured out. Look at verse 6. For that love that was poured out was poured out, look at verse 6, while we were still helpless, while we were still sinners. While we weren't seeking God, God poured his love out on us. And while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died For the ungodly. Did you see that? God didn't choose to love you because you were lovable. And God didn't start loving you more when you started loving Him. Now, the Bible says God, who's unconditional as love, loved you when you didn't deserve it, loved me when I wasn't lovable, and yet He chose to do that. When I was helpless, I couldn't do anything about it. When I was ungodly and and totally going in the opposite direction, he was pursuing me, and he pursues you in this very moment. And if you'll let him, he will pour out his love in your life. Verse 7, for one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. He loved us when no one else would, when no one else could. And that's a beautiful thing about who God really is. While the enemy wants you to perceive God to be some old grumpy God, some judgmental, vindictive God, God demonstrated who he was. God proved who he was when he demonstrated that love on the cross. Don't tell me God can't love you. Don't tell me God isn't a God of love when God has already proved it and when God demonstrated it so powerfully. And the saddest thing in all the world is to spend the rest of your life like Hero Anoto, separated from that peace, not having that security, and feeling like you're still at war. Don't live your days separated from God. Don't live your days in hostility towards God. Look at verse 9. For much more than, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Look at that last part of verse 10. We are saved by His life, not our life. Now, yes, we must be obedient. And yes, we are surrendered to Him. And yes, we don't take that grace for granted. We don't live however we want and just say, oh, now grace can abound. Paul even addressed that. No, we are surrendered to Him, His Lordship. He is my Master, my Lord, my Father, my Savior, my King. But I'm not safe and secure in His love because of my performance and because of my life. I've surrendered my life to his life. And I am confident and I have total security that I will be saved by his life and his life alone. And not only this, verse 11, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Verses 10 and 11, he gives us the fourth source of our security. We are secure in his reconciliation For while we were once enemies, we were separated from God's love. Christ died once and for all for the ungodly. That we might be, instead of enemies on the other side fighting against God, we can now be reconciled to God and be brought together as one. So here in chapter 5, Paul's been demonstrating why we are safe and secure. And because we are secure, we can rejoice. And we can exult, even during times of tribulation. And throughout all of this chapter and throughout all of this book, you'll continually see this word, exalt him, exalt him, rejoice, rejoice in your hope, rejoice even in your suffering, and rejoice in your God. If you have no confidence, if you have no contentment, if you have no security, only his life can give it to you. And so I want you to pray about that with me this morning, right where you are, I want you to pray and just bow your head for just a moment. And as we pray for just a moment, I want you to be able to answer the question, do I know peace with God? Not do I know about it, not have I heard it preached, but do I personally have peace with God? Only you can answer that question. While God already knows that answer, it's important you have that answer. And I want to speak to those this morning that don't know that peace that don't have it. It doesn't come from listening to another sermon. It doesn't come from from doing something and not doing something else. It comes 
from knowing it in your heart, from committing your life, doing what the Japanese did on the Missouri, surrendering your life, ending the war, coming to the Master, coming to the one who has won the war, Jesus, and saying, Lord, I want you to be my Master. Lord, I don't want a war anymore. I need peace with you. I need you in my life. The Bible says it's not something we believe in our head. We must, Romans 10, 9 and 10, we must believe in our heart. And I remember hearing that preached, and I remember knowing I didn't have peace with God. And each Sunday I would hear that preached, and I wanted it so desperately, but I didn't understand it. I was blinded. The Bible says the liar, Satan, blinds the minds of those who don't believe. But then there was that day that those blinders were removed, and I was able to clearly see. Not my bad theology that thought I had to earn my way into God's love, but I could clearly see God so loved me, Jesus. Instead of fighting against it, I needed a peace treaty. And I made peace with God on October 18th, 1981. Have you made peace with God? If that hadn't happened for you right now, make peace with God. Just pray to Him and say, God, save me. God, I want peace with you. That's all you have to pray. But it comes as you surrender to Him. If you did that this morning, or if you've done that through this time of pandemic, the Bible says we need to confess that. One way you can confess that is right there online, right there to our online pastor, or you can email me at bhulse, B-H-U-L-S-E, at pcbc.tv. We'd love to hear about your commitment that you just made. And we'd love to send you some follow-up material, some discipleship to get you growing and going in this new faith that you can stand in confidently and firmly that you're now a child of God. Let me thank the Lord for what he's doing. Father God, I thank you for those that you just saved. And God, I also thank you for those you have already saved. I pray for them as well that in these moments, in these days, even in times of tribulation, in times of difficulty, that we can exalt in hope, that we can stand strong in grace, knowing that we have peace with you, that the enemy cannot rob us of that, he cannot steal it, and we cannot lose it. Because like Paul, we are confident that we are saved through your life and your life alone. Lord Jesus, thank you. And thank you for the blessing of being your child and knowing that peace. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Well, I want to close very quickly with uh, an update to a couple questions that have come in recently. Many of you have been very concerned about how we're doing as a church financially. Uh, I've had a number of questions come in, uh, people who've reached out, how we doing, pastor, and I just wanted to give you an update. And the, the first update I would give is, first of all, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being faithful stewards as you, as, as you have proven to be. Uh, these last years, you have given above and beyond towards our Next Steps campaign. Each year, we've continued to grow our ministry budget to allow us to do more ministry than we've done in a long, long time. And as we've been reflecting over these past six weeks, the first two weeks of March were a little rough. We fell a little bit behind. But over these last four weeks, we've done a great job. You've been faithful. People have been diligent to be faithful stewards, and we have started catching back up. We basically, uh, if we look at our finances over these last six weeks, have given the same amount we gave same time last year. And while we would probably have been a little bit ahead this time this year, had we not had a pandemic, it is miraculous that we are where we are at this moment. Our next steps giving is down a bit. 
I would encourage you, as you can, if you can, please continue that out this year. We want to finish out this third year paying that off completely. Uh, we hope to have an open house as soon as we can uh, going into the summer months. We'll be looking at that as well. Uh, we are a little bit behind this year, same time as last year. So I would encourage you to prayerfully consider that part and continue to do what God calls you to do. The good news is ministry continues. The good news is your tithes and offerings are not to PCBC. They are to the kingdom of God, and we are continuing to reach out within our community and throughout the world with those gifts. God loves you. We love you. Let's keep living that calling. Have a blessed week. We'll see you online next Sunday, I believe. We'll give you an update later this week. Let's keep praying for God to restore what the locust has tried to steal. Have a great week. We love you. God bless. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.